This June, our country will be celebrating Pride Month. And with that, many companies have already started their promotions and their social media campaigns featuring LGBTQ plus culture. A couple months back, Bud Light sponsored a giveaway with a transgender influencer. And just recently, I'm sure you've seen the news reports that Target is featuring a pride display in all of their stores nationwide. Our world is rapidly changing. Many public libraries are promoting drag queen story hours for children. Many public schools have begun to use inclusive curriculum. Transgenderism maintains that there are more than two biological sexes and even more genders. In 2022, Medical News Today counted 72 genders and 78 gender pronouns. So I, as your pastor, felt that it would be beneficial for us to go to God's word and to see what he has to say about all these things. No doubt we will be, and some of you already are, are faced with questions with what Christians believe regarding marriage, sexuality, and gender. And while many Christians are tempted to answer these questions with what they feel or answer with examples that they've seen in their lives, it's important for us to remember that the answers are not found in our feelings or our emotions, but the answers are found in God's word. As followers of Jesus, we must submit ourselves to what God has said, not what we think or what we feel. And so it's my goal for all of you to leave this morning with an understanding of what the Bible says. And it's my prayer that you would listen and that you would submit yourselves to what God has spoken. Also that you would not leave here with a legalistic mindset that would lead you to not love people who struggle in these areas and just say, well, I don't struggle with that. It's on them but that you would be compassionate towards those caught up in sin and that you would speak the truth in love. Many people say that Jesus never really addressed these topics. As we work from Matthew chapter 19, I hope you see otherwise. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew's gospel, the Pharisees are approaching Jesus with a question that's intended to trap him. They, they want him to misinterpret what the law says. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, 
Let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As we consider these important and controversial topics, we ask that you teach us, convict us, and help us submit to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the sermon this morning is going to be a little different from what you all are used to with me. Um, I'm not a fan of a large diet of topical sermons, uh, but here and there they can be very helpful when addressing important topics. Um, and if you're visiting with us this morning, we normally go through books of the Bible. We recently just took a, a break from the Gospel of John. Next week we're going to start a series in the Psalms, starting with Psalm one, um, but this morning is a little unusual, but it's necessary. Um, we won't necessarily dig deep into this Matthew 19 text like we normally would, but we will use this text as a springboard to what we see in the scriptures. And so our outline here is going to be a little different as well. This morning, um, we'll see four things in regards uh, to marriage and gender. We're going to see what God has created what sin has destroyed, what Jesus has redeemed, and what we should do. What God has created, what sin has destroyed, what Jesus has redeemed, and what we should do. All right, so in the context of our passage this morning, the Pharisees begin questioning Jesus about divorce. And they ask if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason. The Pharisees actually were divided uh, on their interpretation of the Old Testament text, and they had many different views on divorce. Some only allowed divorce if there was infidelity, and then there were some who allowed divorce for basically any reason. And so men were able to divorce their wives if their wives burnt dinner. Men were able to divorce their wives if they just didn't like them anymore. Um, and so with all of these differing viewpoints, the Pharisees come to Jesus to test him and to see how he would respond. But Jesus answers them in verse 4. And he answers them by basically asking them if they have ever read their Bibles. Did you notice that? Have you not read? Do you not know? The Pharisees were the Bible scholars of the day. It was their responsibility to know the scriptures. Jesus says, the answer to your question is on pages one and two of your Bibles. 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus starts at the beginning. He starts in Genesis. He goes all the way back when God created the world and created mankind. And as we consider what the Bible teaches about marriage, gender, and human sexuality, it's important to start where Jesus starts. Let's first look at what God has created. Notice Jesus quotes Genesis chapters 1 and 2 which are pretty clear passages. But Jesus quoting these passages shows that not only is that the view of Genesis, but that was the view of Jesus. God made us in his image, male and female. Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And God made the institution of marriage to be between a man and a woman. And they become one flesh, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Marriage is a union between a man and a woman. It's lifelong. And it's a covenant. God is personally involved. It says there that he has joined them together. And then later on in Ephesians chapter 5, we see that marriage is a beautiful picture of Christ and his church, a beautiful picture of love and exclusivity. Jesus could not be any clearer. There were no changes made by him in regards to marriage or gender, as some people try to argue. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus is the word who was in the beginning the one through whom all things were made. And so he and God the Father and the Spirit are the ones who designed it to be this way. He makes it very clear that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, and not a woman and a woman. This is God's good design. And without that complementary design and function of male and female, the human race would cease to exist. We would no longer be able to procreate. But there's also another implication made here. There are only two created genders. Human beings come in only two created sexes. Anything other than that is a distortion of the created order and God's good design. This is the Christian view of marriage, gender, and human sexuality. The message that's emphasized in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is that God is the actor in creation. Notice what word is emphasized in this text. So Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
created, created, created. We are creatures who have a creator. Our identity, who we are, is God-given. Genesis teaches us the foundation of human dignity and worth is not found in our biological sex. It's not found in our gender. It's not found in our ethnicity or our performance, but in the fact that we are all made in the image of God. Every human being in this room and in the whole entire world is made in the image of God, and that is where we gain our human dignity. But also, God has created us with a specific gender, either male or female. We either have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes. And when a man and the woman get married, they become one. And in a very special way, God joins them together as they make that covenant with each other and with him. But it's also possible to miss the fundamental point that Jesus is trying to make here in Matthew chapter 19 about marriage. When things fall apart in your life and your marriage, Believers should not be quickly to resort to the question, what are the grounds for divorce? How can I get out of this? Rather, believers should remember their vows, the covenant that they made with one another, their love, God's grace, and seek to rebuild their marriage. What Jesus does in this passage is not seek to answer with reasons why people should get divorced. But he's making a case for what God created marriage to be. And by making this case, there's implications beyond just marriage. Jesus is teaching about God's created order here, but he's also teaching how to apply Scripture. When we're asked questions about marriage and sexuality and gender, we shouldn't turn to sociology. We shouldn't turn to modern psychology or towards our own feelings and emotions. As Christians, we must turn to God's word. We follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, have you not read and pointed these Bible scholars back to pages one and two in their Bibles? So Jesus points them back to the beginning, to Genesis, and then the Pharisees respond back to Jesus. In verse 7, they say, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Here they're quoting, mentioning Deuteronomy chapter 24. But they've completely misunderstood what it says. Because no, Moses never commanded people to get divorced. It was allowed. But it never was commanded. And so Jesus responds to them in verses 8 and 9. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus says, because of your sinful hardness of hearts, that is why God through Moses allowed for divorce. It was because of sin. It was never God's intention. 
God never commands someone to be divorced. Jesus says, from the beginning, it was not so. And then Jesus does clarify that divorce is allowed in the case of sexual immorality. But you see what Jesus is saying here. He's pointing out that God has intended uh, all these things in his created order. And then he explains that the reason that there were allowances for divorce was because of sin, because of the hardness of men's hearts. Sin has destroyed a lot. We've seen what God has created. Now let's consider what sin has destroyed. The world around us not only has lost its biblical memory, but it's sought out to reject God and to rebel against its creator. And so many answers to questions that we may have on marriage and sexuality that come through the news channels or movies or school systems and social media can be disorienting and confusing. The message out there is, be true to yourself. You do you. Otherwise known as expressive individualism. This is a sinful worldview that has and is causing much damage in our culture. This dangerous philosophy teaches that your true self is found in your feelings and your emotions. And so if you no longer feel like loving the person that you've made a covenant with and said you promise to love them in sickness and in health, then you can just get rid of them. You can just file for divorce. It's okay. Or if someone feels like a female, even though their birth certificate in biology says that they're a male, then many people today would say that that makes that person a female. Or if someone feels attracted to the people of the same sex, then that's what they are. It's their identity because the world believes you are defined by your desires. You are what you feel yourself to be. But fellow Christians, don't buy in to these lies and warn others around you to not buy into them as well. If a person's body says male while the brain says female, then the brain is wrong. We live in a fallen world where sin corrupts our minds, not only our physical bodies. What we think about ourselves can be mistaken. The truth is not just something that we feel. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We cannot trust our own thoughts and feelings and emotions. We need to submit them to God and his word because he is trustworthy. The Bible teaches that God's ways are true and that we can come to him and learn the truth. God has given his word so that we can understand the world around us and that we can understand his ways. We as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to be faithful to him and his word. 
It's easy to sing songs here and say that we believe the Bible has answers to all of life's questions. But when it comes to questions regarding marriage and sexuality, do you look to the Bible for answers? Sin is destructive. It takes God's good design and it perverts it. Being created in the image of God and being male or female are essential to being human. By nature, sinners rebel against God's beautiful design. And this rebellion can take many forms. Some rebel against the idea that sex is only for those who are married. And so they have premarital sex. Some want to redefine the marriage covenant so that it's no longer permanent. I can divorce the person because I don't like them or I don't love them anymore. Some want to redefine the marriage covenant so that it includes multiple sexual partners. Some want to redefine the marriage covenant so that it includes same-sex partners. Transgenderism denies the eternal and essential difference between men and women designed by God for a purpose. All of these are distortions of God's original design and are sinfully rebellious against our Creator. And today our culture is in major rebellion and deep darkness. Not only has our culture grown in its acceptance of homosexuality, but some professed Christians have spread false teaching claiming that the Bible permits homosexuality. And so very quickly, let's consider some passages from the scriptures. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. This verse calls a sexual relationship between two men an abomination. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Homosexuality is a consequence of suppressing God's truth and refusing to honor him. And unrepentant sin, including homosexuality, is evidence of God's present-day wrath. But before we're quick to judge, church, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul turns the table on those who would judge the Gentiles. God condemns hypocrisy in the same passage that he condemns sexual sins. And so all of us are in desperate need of God's grace. Amen? There's a couple more passages. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is a list of people who will be excluded from the kingdom of God unless they repent of their sins. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That's a list of sins that do not conform to sound doctrine. God's word exposes sin. And believers are commanded to not participate in any activity that discredits the gospel or dishonors God. It's very clear from the scriptures that homosexuality is a sin. Sexual relations with a man and a man or a woman and a woman is sinful. Homosexual practice is sinful. Gay marriage is not a real marriage because it violates the divine design in creation. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 says that men and women who engage in same-sex relationships, even though they're being true to their own feelings and emotions and desires, they've suppressed God's truth. And then it goes on to say in verse 32 that those who affirm homosexuality are sinning. Judgment falls on those who practice these sins, but judgment also falls on those who give approval to them. So it's no little mistake in God's eyes to encourage or approve homosexuality and transgenderism. It harms our fellow image bearers and it dishonors our creator. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, says this, I have sinned in using transgender pronouns and claiming it as hospitable. I have come to see that my use of preferred pronouns today as sin, pure and simple. Not only is it lying to people who have already been lied to by the world, but it also falsifies the gospel imperative of the creation order with its eternal binary of being created in the image of God as male or female and the command to live out image-bearing within God-assigned sexual roles. Church, we need to think deeply about these things. We need to consider what sin has destroyed. Pride is not something to celebrate or flaunt. It's a sin that needs to be repented of before a holy God. Those who call themselves gay Christians 
or transgender Christians are misleading people and misleading themselves. Your sinful nature should never define you. Christ is the one who defines you. The attempt to redefine sexuality in marriage gives a wrong assumption that God is not deeply invested in his created order, which he is. And so to attack these is to attack the very good and wise plan of God from the beginning. From the beginning, it was not so. Sinclair Ferguson says this, Today we are told that men and women exchange relations with the opposite sex with same-sex relationships. And instead of the threat of thunder and lightning of God's judgment, there's happiness. But if Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32 makes one thing clear, it's this. God's present-day judgments are not usually manifested in cataclysmic destruction, but in giving people over to their own desires, to doing what they want to do. Three times in Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, God simply gave them over to their desires and to the consequences. A world that grows in his, its homosexuality and acceptance of gender confusion is a world judged by God, given over to sin. So remember, Jesus says, from the beginning, it was not so, we need to remember that the Bible's teaching on these things is something that we all need to hear. But it's not the only thing that we need to hear. Wrongful divorce, homosexuality, transgenderism is contrary to God's design for sexuality and marriage, but it's not the Bible's central focus. We've seen the created order. We've seen how sin has messed everything up. And now let's consider how Christ redeems it all. Jesus came to make all things new. He came and he lived a perfect life in order to give us his perfect righteousness. He died a sinner's death in order to pay the penalty of wrath that we deserve for our sins. And he rose from the grave, securing for us eternal life for all who believe. Jesus didn't come to deal with the penalty of sin so that we could just continue sinning. He came to set us free from sin and death. Friends, there is hope in the gospel. There is hope for marriages Hope for people who are lost in sexual sin. Isaiah 59.1 says this. It reminds us that God's arm is not shortened, that it cannot save. There is no one in this world that is beyond the saving grace of our God. The gospel is sufficient. And so if you are here this morning and you see your sin, my encouragement to you is to turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Church, what better news 
is there than the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he came into the world to save sinners, of which we were the foremost. Amen? So we've considered what God has created, what sin has destroyed, what Jesus has redeemed, and lastly, what we should do. If we believe that God's word and God's ways are not only true, but also good for us, then isn't withholding that truth and goodness the opposite of love? Isn't that hate? Withholding God's truth? That's the opposite of love. When most of us think about false teachers today, we think about the televangelists and the prosperity gospel teachers. But a false teacher is someone who preaches a gospel contrary to the sound doctrine that's contained in the Bible. Pastors and Christians who affirm homosexuality and transgenderism are teaching contrary to sound doctrine. These people are leading people away from the gospel and must be called out. Because gender and sexuality have become central to identity and politics today, there's this strong temptation to downplay the Bible's teachings in the areas of adultery, homosexuality, and gender identity. But consider this. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, we are told not to lie or bear false witness. Not sharing the truth is lying. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul tells us to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, we learn that what is worse than engaging in, the, in, in these sins is approving them. And so these verses have applications for us today, in this moment. Christians should not attend a gay wedding because it's a distortion of the created order and attending that gay wedding gives approval to what is happening. Even though LGBTQ advocates argue that we must refer to those who identify as transgender by their chosen names and pronouns, we shouldn't. When we do, we are denying God's created order and lying to that person and approving their decisions. Sometimes we won't know if a person is biologically male or female. But when we, and so kind of up to your conscience and discretion there. But when we know the truth, we must speak the truth. And so when we talk about the issues surrounding divorce, gender, and sexuality, we can easily fall into one of two things. We can be tempted to not point out the sins connected to sexuality because they're uncomfortable to talk about, they're a little too personal. Or we can emphasize gender and sexual sins, especially the ones that we don't struggle with, and begin to think and act like the Pharisee who looked at the tax collector and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What is your tendency? Is it to downplay sexual sins? Or to think that you're better because you don't have the same struggle? How can we keep from falling into either one of these groups? The gospel. Remember the gospel. God is both the just and the justifier. He punishes sins because they are deeply serious. But he gives mercy and he declares sinners righteous because of his great love. We must remember what God has done for us in allowing for us to see our sins and our need for Jesus and then providing redemption and salvation from them through his son. We must also be compassionate towards people in the LGBTQ community because these people are without God. People without God don't know who they are. People without Jesus don't know how to handle the brokenness and pain. But the Bible has answers. We also need to keep in mind that heterosexuality is not the answer to homosexuality. And calling ourselves by our biological sex is not the answer to transgenderism. The call to turn away from homosexuality and transgenderism in repentance is first and foremost a call to turn to Jesus. Hell will be full of heterosexual people. Hell will be full of many people who call themselves by their biological sex because they didn't repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. The answer to sexual sin is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal is not heterosexuality or calling ourselves by our biological sex, but knowing Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news for all people, and it proclaims freedom from the disorder and chaos of sin. And the gospel hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He still saves people. He rescues people out of their sin and brings them into his marvelous light. But fellow Christians, this morning, have you lost hope for the LGBTQ community? Do you see them as a group of people that are too far off? God has placed the church in the midst of this fallen and evil world on purpose. He knows what he's doing. And the church should be a place where all people can hear the gospel. The church should be a place where all people find people willing to share their burdens and struggles with and to learn what it means to find their identity in Jesus. When the church fails to treat their LGBTQ neighbor with dignity 
and when it fails at sharing the full gospel, including the sin of homosexuality and transgenderism, we are failing to live out the second great commandment and the great commission. The thing that the church is called to do and the thing that Christians are called to do. We need to be clear about what God has said in his word and what his design for humanity has always been. And we need to proclaim that he is faithful to rescue us from our sins. The gospel offers hope of redemption. It offers hope of healing, hope of restoration to anyone who is struggling with marital problems or sexual sin. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if you were here this morning and you're struggling with these issues in your life, please come see me when Pastor Scott's back. Come talk to him. Talk to one of our members here. We'd love to walk alongside of you. You're not alone. The church should be a safe place to share your burdens and your struggles. Calvary, we must be on mission. We must be praying for those who are lost and seeking satisfaction in things that will never satisfy. just like the LGBTQ plus culture. Jesus is the bread of life. And he tells us that whoever comes to him will neither hunger or thirst. He will satisfy them. And so let's be praying that during this Pride Month in June, that instead of pride, these lost people are humbled and that they see the emptiness of the things that they're involved in and that they go to their Christian friends, that they walk into the church, and they're welcomed. And they hear the gospel, and that God saves them like he saved us. They would believe in Jesus and experience a community in the church like they've never experienced in the world. The church can offer that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be obedient to your word, faithful in proclaiming the gospel in your word, and help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.